Welcome to My African Aesthetic, a podcast that interrogates the African aesthetic in African architecture and design. On this podcast, you'll hear about the work, philosophy, and design process of African architects and designers practicing in Africa and the diaspora. My name is Eunice Nanzala Schumacher. I'm a Ugandan architect and designer living and working in Norway. And my name is Penina Achayo Laker. I am a Ugandan graphic designer, researcher, and educator living and practicing in the USA. Our podcast features conversations with designers working to provide architecture and design solutions for Africa. We would like this to become a platform where our guests share their knowledge and experiences on designing in the diverse, hybrid, and dynamic socio-economic, cultural, and political African context. We are looking forward to embarking on this journey with you. Fungai Dube is a self-taught brand and visual identity graphic designer from Harare, Zimbabwe. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Human Anatomy, Physiology and Biochemistry. She ventured into design after many fruitless efforts to secure employment after completing her degree at university. This frustration led her to explore Photoshop and design as a source of income, but also a way to stay occupied. Many years later, Fungai has created a career for herself in design and visual storytelling. She describes her approach to design as being rooted in strategic, intentional and calculated sensibilities. Fungai is enthusiastic about designing from her African roots while being intentional about honoring designers who have played a key role in shaping African design. In this episode, Fungai reminds us that the African narrative is multi-diverse and multi-directional. With so much influence and inspiration from the internet, she reminds us of the rich, relevant and very much available influence that is to be found in our very own African context, our heritage and day-to-day life, tasking us with the challenge and encouraging us to go outside, to observe and to talk to our own people about their everyday lives and processes. We hope you enjoy this episode and thanks again for joining us today. We're so excited to have Dube here with us today. Uh, Eunice and I have been following her work for a while. We've been um, impressed by a lot of things, but also just felt like uh, some of the, the conversations that she's um, highlighting and bring us to the forefront in her work in visual identity and storytelling and brand identity and how that so closely connects with who we are as a people and our cultures. This idea of us looking inward, um, I, you know, it's it's really truly exciting and an honor for us to be in conversation with her today. Thanks for being on that my African Aesthetic podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm also super excited to be here and to talk about the important things. I love that the important things. Um, so usually, just to get us started, we we like to have a few moments to just talk about our upbringings. Eunice and I, you know, are from Uganda and. We've, we've shared that before. And so can you tell us a little bit about what growing up in Zimbabwe is like? What was your childhood like? Are there any like, you know, highlights or little moments that you feel like, oh, this was such, you know, a, a very interesting memory of mine that I have from growing up? Sights, smells, sounds. 
Oh, I love that question. Um, so I grew up in a very small town here in Zimbabwe. It's called Norton. Uh, my parents were vet surgeons, so I grew up around a lot of animals. Like we probably at any given point, like probably had like over like 50 dogs in our backyard because, you know, our house and like the surgery, like we're all in, within the same complex and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I also... Um, was raised by because of that description alone like I was literally raised by very liberal parents in the sense that a lot of my baby pictures are very questionable um I think if you were to see them you'd be like whoa how do they leave you in a situation like that because it it doesn't even make sense so I was like uh that child like was always like literally like my dad's handbag like when you went for like side visits to like different farms and like was working with different animals I was always there so I became very very adventurous I uh, recall I think probably one of my best uh, moments from childhood is me sneaking into an ostrich pen and you know that ostriches will kick you like across you know like several spheres but I would go in and like steal like their eggs and put them in and put them so he used to drive this this like awesome blue truck so it has like the back seat compartment where you can just like open it and then store things in the back there so that's what i would do like i'll sneak into these pens steal the eggs uh whilst he's been like doing you know some some injecting and like vaccines and that sort of thing and as we're getting home and he's like emptying things out he's like what is this where is this coming from <laughs> Um, so that's not, I was very naughty, very adventurous. Uh, so I think that, you know, this entire, like, uh, sort of space that I grew up in and how I grew up is probably like a major contributor to how I think like creatively, because my parents allowed me to explore. I, I would eat dog food and I don't know if that grosses people out or not, but I would crawl to the kennels, uh, and eat dog food, uh, with my dogs and initially my mom tried to stop me and then she was like hey she's healthy and she's <laughs> she's not sick so okay that's fine then <laughs> yeah so I I guess like those are like that's like my upbringing like and like um some of my favorite moments and I see it now uh, just in how I think and how I am as a person that a lot of that has contributed to how I maybe process like creative solutions or how I look at things and that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, that's a little bit about how I was brought up. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you. And I must I must thank you for painting that picture because I was visualizing this the whole time, like a little fungi just like running around in the different pens and oh my goodness being one with the animals being one with nature just doing your thing what a fun what a fun childhood I mean that's just this is incredible and now actually now that I think about it because you know um you've talked about how you know you started out you have you have a bachelor's of science degree in human anatomy and um biochemistry and stuff and I feel like it's it makes sense so did would you say that your upbringing in some ways um just naturally inspired you led you towards pursuing uh an early career in the sciences um yeah I would I would say that I think it was definitely a contributing factor but I think the other thing as well right is that 
somehow there was some unspoken rule that you had to go for more traditional uh, role or traditional job description. So even in high school, like I could have easily pursued the arts. Um, I could have easily, you know, done something more like computer-based drawing or anything like that. But I felt without anyone telling me, like I felt like there was this like this hanging like thing where you're like, oh, it has to be like something more traditional, like you know, accounting, law, uh, medicine. So initially, when I when I when I picked up sciences, like I and I also did. So we our educational system here is in such a way that you go through um, high school form one to form four. Then we have something that we call uh, form five and six. So then you start off by doing like maybe like eight to ten subjects, and then you narrow it down to three or four. So I uh, then did math. Uh, bio and chemistry but I also did French right because I think that a part of me still had like wanted to have that creative expression or flair so I I opted to add a language in there so that's what I did but again like I'm saying because like I felt like I had to I I don't think that I could have said to anyone or any of my teachers oh like I want to be a creative entrepreneur they would not have understood that at all um and even as I did go off to university and I remember when we were going through like our initiation week and everything like that, I was incredibly overwhelmed because we had to pick an elective subject. And what I had not been told by my professors during that week is that you could pick an elective in any faculty that you wanted. So you could even do, you know, like your biochemistry modules and still be going to arts and doing philosophy and that sort of thing. So it made it seem as though like all you could do was in science. So I ended up picking up computer science. I did physics and I hated both of them so much. Uh, but I didn't even know that I had options. But this is not to take away from the fact that I absolutely loved my BSc. I loved human anatomy. I loved physiology. Because um, I think part of like my my thinking and my brain is still very analytical and very scientific. So I enjoyed the entire process. I graduated. Uh, I finished. I was job hunting. And that is where things just kind of started to shift a little bit because I was so frustrated. For some strange reason during that time, and I finished in 2014, you could not find a job anywhere. Like I was applying to different corners of the world, so like different corners of Africa. And I was getting endless rejection emails every single day. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. It was really like starting to affect my mental health and I needed an outlet. And somehow tapping back into like that creative side that I feel like I've always had, it just naturally made sense for me to to pursue something creative. But as to graphic design, and I like really, really resonated with how you're saying, oh, you didn't, we didn't actually know that you could use computers to like make things like that. What? So somehow I'm on YouTube and then I don't know how it happened. Maybe it's like divine something or like God's timing or grace because my recommended video was a Photoshop tutorial. And I was like, oh, what is this? Let me just tap into it. I was like, oh, my days. Like, you're telling me that people do this? And they can do it on a computer? Oh, I'm so in. So 
I was like, frustration is being curbed right now. So I started uh, self-learning in Photoshop. So I was literally up like from dusk to dawn for five months because I was so intrigued by the fact that you could do that in the first place. But also just the ability to like bring your ideas to life and like create all of these cool things. So that's what I did. Uh, So yeah, I'm going to cut it very short, but... I transitioned from being a scientist to being a full-time creative entrepreneur. I worked for six years in a non-design day job, uh, which I unfortunately or fortunately got let go of from um, end of 2020. And I think it was a blessing in disguise because I'm so much happier doing what I love to do and being able to create and conceptualize ideas for, you know, like Africa and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, and just listening to you, I can I can see traces of that systematic way of thinking, and and I mean just getting hooked on learning Photoshop. It also just resonates with the whole idea of even the platform that someone needs to to just discover that one thing that the other designer or the other architect or the other creative is doing somewhere else in Africa because of the challenges are similar they're not the same but they're kind of similar and if if i can't go to school what 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 other way what what is the other mm-hmm. alternative way you know of of being a creative and and curving you know mm-hmm. my path in 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 that direction for me it's 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 a very simple and very very honest but also very mm-hmm. beautiful story you're telling it's also i think one of the 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 stories that we have on the podcast now that also challenges that that how how we get to this creative path you, you, mm-hmm. you get you get hung up in these titles or in these uh, silos of of professions mm-hmm. but i hope that through this podcast our young upcoming uh, creatives and architects and designers will 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 begin to experience a sense of freedom to mm-hmm. if you have the choice if you have the resources explore do it your story at least brings that to 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 the forefront yeah yeah and there's also i just wanted to make a quick comment to Eunice, which you said was so brilliant but also fungi you touched on this um ability to to shift because the way first of all in at least i know growing up for us in uganda education is a luxury in that like you you know, especially if you're like a girl, the girl child, like you'd say, because we grew up in the era of like girl child, there was a huge movement for girl child education and getting us an opportunity to be in schools. And so you always knew that if you had the opportunity to be in a classroom, it was such a privilege, you couldn't question it. You had to sit there and just like be grateful. You you can't even ask why. You can't question the teacher. You're just like soaking it all in. You're taking your notes. You're cramming. You're taking the tests. Like you're trying to to pass those exams so you can get to university. Like there's just so much pressure because it's it's a privilege, right? But I think on the flip side, because we were so much on this one end, we never like even thought we could we could shift gears. Like secondary school like you said you have to make decisions so the last two years of your secondary school that's from five from six you have to study towards that one thing you 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 should know what you want to be in life by the time you're 16 you have to make these choices so if if you have if you have somehow and you're like okay i'm going to be and it has to be like in the sciences or something lucrative right so okay let's say you're like i'm going to pursue the sciences 
you you usually young people don't feel like they have the option to even like on the side. I can learn this little thing for myself. You have to focus in on that one area of study. And what I, what I love about what you shared was, you know, even post graduation, post the frustration of the job market, like you you jumped in. You like you found this one Photoshop video and you jumped in, and I'm sure it was scary. Maybe it was also exciting, and you just didn't know where the path was going to lead. But you're like, hey, like you said, let me try this thing, and if I fail, I fail. But we don't often feel like, at least growing up that you can even do that because it, it we're not taught to be free or creative thinkers. And I think that's the beauty of design and the creative fields, the unlearning we have to do to almost like allow ourselves to think freely <laughs> is such a shift, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely agree with that. When Penina talked about sounds and smells, I saw that, that you, you, your face lit up. So I'm just wondering... How does your context inspire you? And by context, I would I would mean you know Zimbabwe, your family, your friend, your culture, your heritage, your extended family, your near. How does that whole vibe around you inspire you? I love that question. So I've grown up in a very close knit family, but I think because of the educational system here, like you feel like you have to suppress a lot of who you are. So I went to schools where you could not even speak in your mother tongue during break time because you get in trouble for that. And this is not even to say it's because there were mixed populations within the school. In my primary school, we were predominantly black, but still we would get in trouble for things like that. So if anything, like contextually speaking from that point of view first, and then I'll um, go into like family dynamics and everything like that it was so weird because it just didn't make sense that I would get in trouble for expressing who I was but now as I'm older I realize that it was you know everything to do with the system and how these normalizations have been done so that you know a certain way of speaking or looking a certain way or having a certain type of hair you know makes you better And you're like, no, actually, diversity is a spice of life. And I'm still magic the way that I am and how I sound and how I look. Uh, But that was never a thing. So then going into family dynamics, I think this is where I sort of got into a space where I began to fully understand who I am. Because my grandmother was absolutely amazing. She was the original Fungai Jube. Uh, she was a no-nonsense talker, you know, like, but a very gracious woman, very strong. And she never made us forget who we were. She ensured that we were at family gatherings. She ensured that as cousins, we w- would all hang out together and speak together. She always brought people together. So because of that, like, there was such a strong sense of family that has been, like, you know, embedded in all of us, like when when I just see how we interact and how we talk. And it's because my grandmother was like, listen, I want you to know that you're Amadue, okay? Like, that's who you are. Um, that's what you represent. This is how you should carry yourself and that sort of thing. So wherever you are in the world, like, never forget that. And people should always be very, they should have no doubts of where you come from, right? They may have their opinions about you being, African or you being Shona or Ndebele or Zimbabwean or whatever the case is but that, that's on them yeah because you should not feel like less because of any lesser because of that so I 
can definitely attribute a lot of my confidence in stepping into my identity to my grandmother. Um, and from then on, like, it's it's just been a thing where I will not suppress, you know, who I am uh, because of what people may think about me. Um, and then also then looking at, like, the largest Zimbabwean context and everything like that. I I can't speak for everyone. And I always say it where I'm like, hey, people can either decide to step into their Africanness or not. Because let's be honest, the, Afri- the African experience is not the same for everyone. It's not even the easiest for everyone. It's even not the most blissful for everyone, right? Some people have trauma from being at home. So I can't speak on on the basis of, you know, my experience and say that, oh gosh, because like being raised in Zimbabwe with a grandmother like this means that everyone should feel the way that I feel. Um, but I just am truly grateful for that. And I realize more and more and more and more, especially as we advance, you know, uh, just on a general like global scale that it's important for me to always represent that and always step into that because it's necessary I guess like I I don't know how else to describe it but it's definitely something that is necessary so that is uh basically how I would say like you know my influence is like how I grew up where I am how I perceive the world and that sort of thing has definitely been shaped from like the foundation of family and also my grandmother because hey she she was just she was just a magical magical black woman so uh, yeah <laughs> that is so amazing and and I love what you said about like you know we, we almost like stepping into our Africanness and and I think for it, all of us finding ways to embrace it I think Eunice and I have always talked about how in ironically it wasn't until we left home that we realized how much of if anything an identity complex we we had. Because you, you live you live a culture where you never ever had to think about or oh, I'm black or the color of my skin or you know yes we we have our like tribal and ethnic you know differences and things like that but from a purely like racial context or skin like you would I was never ever meant to feel like I was less because of my skin and then you come into a, a Western context where hey 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 everyone foresees you as black and you're saying yeah. what what do you mean yeah. you know and 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 so i hearing you talk there's this like sense of confidence that 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 i hope you know we, we can all be reminded of that there is beauty in who we are like we actually know who we are a lot of us know who our people are our ancestors are you know and not everyone by the way here in the west people cannot tell you that stuff so that's unique and that's really powerful and and through the podcast you know We've been, you know, honored to have people like um, um, Professor Mugendi, who, um, you know, introduced us to people like Esther Mahlangu from South Africa, and like hear, hearing who, who, yeah, hearing who inspires him. They're like, I think that is like now we can almost say like African, like 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 heroes. Like I think of Sakima from Dikwa, and you know, the Mugendi's, yeah, yeah, professors. Yes, it's like it's like we're now like this, you know. This we're, we're, I th- I feel like a lot of of young and aspiring Africans in this space 
we're starting to recognize like who should we be looking to as well and and people who've gone before us and and are continuing to talk about this idea of looking inward and this idea of Africa Africa with a K so I guess like I'm curious to hear from you like you know who who in this field is inspires you and um and who would you want to share with you know with a lot of our young African designers and architects um, so I'm super excited that you mentioned Prof Saki because he's been such a pioneer for a lot of us young Zimbabwean designers. So obviously, like my interactions with him were much later in my young adulthood life because I started off on a completely different path. But what actually triggered like the work that I do now is the fact that I encountered African alphabets. And when I went through that book, my mind was completely blown because, again, we've been talking about this thing where you don't realize that you can do these things somehow or you can be in these spaces because I, it's it's so weird. But it clicks because even like when I then started designing and then I started doing it commercially and everything like that, I was doing anything and everything. Like people were like, oh, I need a birthday flyer for my six-year-old dog I'm like okay that's fine <laughs> you know like, it could be the most random thing ever but I was just like yeah let's just do it let's just do it let's just do it so I then yeah I encountered that and then obviously eventually watched this TED talk as well and I was my my entire design trajectory was changed after that because I was like we can actually like embrace who we are and like look within and like inspiration is actually not out there it's next door with your neighbor it's in the village with your grandmother you know things like that so um Prof Saki has definitely 100% been such a pioneer I love how he's so unapologetic um unashamedly like claims who he is and is like listen there is need for us to decolonize all of these things because um for far too long there's been this lie that has been told that there are no gems in africa and that sort of thing and in order for us to be able to perpetuate these narratives like we as you know the young african creatives or african creatives as a whole are the ones who actually have to tell the stories because it ceases to not make sense when, you know, a lot of these things happen on a global scale or like movies get like, you know, like produced and everything like that. And you watch it and you're like, wait, who sounds like that? Who's that supposed to be? Like, like who who are they trying to represent? Like, huh? What, what is this attire? Who is this in Africa? Can you talk about that? Like, you know, things like that. Um. So definitely like Prosaki is 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 up there on my on my list. Absolutely, absolutely have so much respect for everything that he's done, even with you know starting a graphic design school here in in um Harare and even some of the designers that have come out of that that I've interacted with, you know, like years later and just how they think and everything. Amazing, amazing people. Um I also have my peers who I look up to because I absolutely adore their work and I think it's stunning. Uh, one of them is Tapio Nashe Sebastian Garikai. And he is an amazing type designer and multi-script designer. And I am always so in awe and so blown away by how gorgeous his work is. And the fact that he's challenging conventions, right? Because when it comes to even thinking about and conceptualizing like type design, 
even the systems that have been put in place for that are very Eurocentric. So he's having to come up with very innovative ways of defying these systems so that we can have African scripts that we can actually type out. And that is brilliant. Um, another one is Nancy Mutiti. I don't know if you know her, but uh, she did this amazing series called where she took like braided letter forms and and created this amazing experimental typography set with them and I was absolutely blown away. Like I can keep dropping names like Osmo Chuma, <laughs> you know, like um, Torai Valerian Take. Like there are so many of them. So I if anything, like just the fact now that I can be in a space and we all can be in a space like you're saying where we can point out like African design or you know, African visionaries and be like, this is the person that I look up to. Like, these are the people that inspire me. Like, when I see this person's work, like, I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, this is it, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah, just to, just to mention a few, because I could give you a very long list here, but, um, but these are some of the people. But for sure, the thing that triggered it was definitely African alphabets, 100%. I am so glad because that's the same thing that triggered it for me. I, I stumbled on African alphabets while in my graduate education. And I was like, hey, it's actually a book on African. Like it's by an African. Like it's like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing I had ever seen. And it just started to get me. It provoked me. Started get, get, it started to remind me of yeah. where else I can look. Because here I was like struggling. But bec- I didn't realize I was struggling because mm-hmm. I wasn't connecting mm-hmm. fully with the context that I was learning in and it's like a new excitement all of a sudden um and so we honor a lot mm-hmm. of the super and thank you so much for um for listing and sharing them mm-hmm. what are some of the resources that you have drawn your knowledge and inspiration from so what I've actually realized um in the few years that I've doing this is that there is a lack of inspiration online especially when it comes to Trying to, you know, like really like deep dive into certain aspects of like African narratives and that sort of thing. So you will not to say that you won't find it. You can find like published articles and like scholarly articles that have been done. So especially when I did my project on threads, like I did find quite a number of articles like on Kente and uh, Bogolan and that sort of thing. So, and this was research that had been done by by other African like educators or students in in various places, which was amazing. But because the African narrative is so multi diverse, right, and it's also multi directional, what I have established for myself and also could be you know a good piece of encouragement or or advice for someone out there who wants to be able to express their roots and that sort of thing is to actually go outside um because as much as we have access to you know like technology and the internet there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in order to make sure that we have access to the rifle content so actually being able to go outside and talk to the roadside vendor Okay, who is making his basket or who is making a sculpture is going to give you a whole lot more information sometimes than actually sitting and going on Google because you may not be able to get everything. So I find that being able to draw inspiration from 
various sources goes a long way. So even things like visiting like art galleries within your community or your town, being able to speak to the elderly as well, because they know a lot. They know a lot. Uh, you know, like even things like basic like shana cooking utensils uh, that were used in the past and everything like that. When I used to visit my grandmother, she had all of these things. And I was like, what is this? What does this do? You know, so just being able to have conversations with the elderly in your community as well goes a long way because they'll tell you a lot of like traditions and practices and why things were done the way that we're done. It's just that nowadays, like people are like, oh, no, we're cool. We're on the Internet. We're on Twitter. So, you know, we're not going to do any of this. But that is where like the knowledge actually is. They know a lot. I've also found that even having conversations like this where we can connect from very different places and from very different backgrounds goes a, a long way. I will have conversations with my creative friends in, in Ghana or in Nigeria and be like, oh, wait, I found this like super interesting thing that I bumped into on the internet. Would you know anything about this? Like, do you have any more context? Yeah, I can Google and try and find something, but it also helps if you're able to have conversations with, uh, with them because they may have more knowledge because they're on the ground. So it becomes less about hey, let's go on Pinterest or let's go on Behance and see what's happening. I think that's great if you want to get like inspiration for maybe like layouts and that sort of thing. But when it actually comes to like the crux of the matter and like getting like that deeper, deeper information, like you have to be innovative with that. You have to defy conventions of how things have been done and be like, okay, I am actually just going to go and uh, visit a craft market or I'm going to go and um, go to, I don't know, a flea market and see what they've got there and that sort of thing. Um, that's 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 what I found to be like the most impactful way of being able to gather like different kinds of information and different kinds of visuals because you're also like consuming that with your eyes as you see it being made and that sort of thing. And like, oh, so much inspiration is coming from that. So it all boils down to the basic like message that we're trying to preach here, right? To say that look within, uh, look next door. Um, you know, I don't know, it could be two roads down. There could be someone who's doing something super cool. Obviously, you're respecting people's space and privacy because we're not gonna be weird about it, but <laughs> but yeah, you know, things like that. Just to just to say that it it's closer to home than we I think it's important that even when we say look inward um that we we're sort of like clear about what that means and i think what you did really well was you you encouraged you you encouraged those of us who are interested in looking for inspiration that is rooted in our own context actually step outside like leave the screens leave pinterest leave google go talk to the people in your communities that you know the people that you live with that those people who have lived beyond your years sit at their you know fit listen to your grandma, your relatives, uh, your friends, the the guy that, you know, cooks on the street side there and just uh, engage with people. And therein is where we find those stories. Therein is where we find inspiration. And that's what we start to add to the body of knowledge. I wonder, you, um, Funga, even just to take it one step further, if maybe this is a good opportunity for you to maybe just highlight one project. I was thinking maybe Threads, since you mentioned it a little bit, as just kind of like an example um, of how you can sort of like follow through with some of the sentiments that you've shared with us and take an idea from conception through fruition. Um, awesome. So Threads um, is very interesting because how it started is um, a dear friend of mine sent me 
a picture of the fabric map by Mia Cora. So she's a textile designer and she designed it during the lockdown um, uh, as a way of, you know, part of her mood board to inspire her next collection. So I've obviously always had like a fascination with like patterns and the use of color um, in African context and what it means and that sort of thing. So it's something that I'm always trying to unpack like more and more with each day. So when he sent that to me, I was immediately like, in, like my interest was peaked by like a thousand and fifty percent. I was like, whoa, I mean, yes, I've actually always known that we have like different textiles that, you know, like originate from different parts of Africa, but looking at it like from a much deeper level, like, is there like any sort of like symbology? Like, is there a hidden message in this and that sort of thing? So I started exploring it, and during the that uh, particular time as well is when um, I got the invitation to Typographics, uh, which is like this major like type design conference uh, based out of the US, and I could not feel more like I was out of my depth. I was like, well, I'm not even a type designer. Like, what's going on here? Are you sure, guys? Like, what am I going to talk about? Uh, so uh, Simon Chowi, who is also a good friend from Ghana, like he then, um, I uh, reached out to him. I was like, Simon, I am so confused by this. Uh, I have no idea what I'm going to speak about. Like, what 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 typography you know, system <laughs> I designed here. Like, what what font do I have under my belt? Like, I have nothing. <laughs> what is this? Um, and then he was like, no, 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 no. I think that you should pursue this. Like, because, you know, like, how you, like, contextualize ideas and how you look into, like, patterns and that sort of thing. Like, maybe, like, take that as an angle. So that even, like, challenged me a little bit more. So I started doing my research, um, started looking up papers, I started having conversations with various people. And what I started to unpack is that, again, because there's this, there has been this preconceived notion that, like, design should look like this. And, you know, this is what a font is and this is what a typeface should look like. And with uh, without really fully acknowledging that it may look very different in different contexts. So... As I was doing my research, discovered that, hey, these textiles are embedded with so many like very intricate and delicate like messages and like writing systems that in itself, as we look at it, as we look at, you know, these beautiful colors and everything, it's a whole story that's being told. So I continued like to just like pursue that and like really like press in. And you start uncovering that, hey, when you look at some of like, you know, the pictographic symbols. So when you talk about uh, pictographic symbols, like where you have an object that depicts the, uh, uh, sorry, uh, an image that depicts an object that it represents. So like a cow or like a turtle or a crocodile, that actually means something, right? It wasn't just fancy schmancy, let me just put this out here because it's just art. It was a whole message that was being told. When you look at a dinkra and these are more of your ideographic symbols where you have a single object that conveys an entire idea, right? And these ideas are around, you know, like life and death and love and relationships and everything like that. Yet you would not even have, you know, in a general like design sense, consider that to be 
a way of of writing or if we were to put it in simpler terms, a, a font of some sort, right? So it was just like super cool being t- able to impact that, hey, like writing systems and like African scripts take on like a variation of very delicious forms. And people need to be able to realize and recognize that as much as you can have your ABCs and Ds, it doesn't necessarily follow that that's how it's going to look like in Africa. So Threads was a very eye-opening experience for me as a designer personally because I obviously got to learn a lot more and I vectorized a lot of these patterns as a way of being able to self-educate and as a way of uh, being able to raise awareness as well as to how diverse like African scripts can be but it was just also so fulfilling being able to even unpack that the way that they were made the intentionality so the weaving patterns how the position of the thread you know symbolize something completely different how women especially like you know when you look at Bambara women and that sort of thing were the ones who were tasked with the very delicate like job of even coming up with the meanings behind you know the the patterns that they were weaving and that sort of thing and passing that on to their daughters right because they would then hold the secrets within their generations which was so inspiring because then it also made me think that my goodness do we see how even african women have influenced the shape and destiny of design in Africa, this this is not a conversation that we're having enough, right? Especially nowadays, like where, I mean, let's be very honest, where we see the design world has been very male, like populated for a very long time, right? Regardless of it being in Europe, being in Africa, that's always been the case. But some of the key like players in actually a lot of these design systems were the women, but no one talks about that. So I got so excited and I was like, and if anything, like it really, really challenged me and inspired me to be like, they are actually like, you know, like generations and generations and generations of amazing African women who have carved, you know, like the path and the sense of what design is. Even when I look at it from a Zimbabwean uh, context, there are Matobo women who have these beautiful, beautiful paintings that they put in the enclosures, almost similar to the Ndavela women, but the style is very different but you know things like that where you like these women have been so like creatively inclined and have been so like deep and intentional with your messaging and we need especially as like uh african women who are also creatives to hear more of these stories right so that we can also be inspired and see how we can carve the way and inspire even our daughters if we were to have them and things like that so threads was a very eye-opening experience for me from like very different very like various ang- uh, angles obviously the one being like how typographic systems are very different in African contexts you know how you have so much like deep messaging because you don't need a full sentence to express an idea you just need one symbol that is just very you know entire story and that is amazingly powerful in itself but also opened up my eyes to the fact that you know what as as an African woman as an African woman who is also creative like there is definitely more of a need for me to be very bold and to be able to step out and like you know like share my story and share the narratives of Africa because women way before me have been doing this they've been doing this 
So it should be something that is an inherent thing for me where I can only carry that same spirit and continue to share authentically and like share like various ways of expressing our creativity without having to feel like we have to be in this box. Um, so it was just, it was just a super, super cool thing. Uh, and it's still a, a work in progress because I, from the point that I did like have the talk and everything like that, and I released like the project online, I have discovered that it's it's not enough. Like you can't even like break it down and contain it in like 14 slides. It's impossible. Um, so the work continues. I will not speak of how I'm continuing it because I feel like it should be a surprise. Uh, but, you know, when the time is right and when it's super ripe, um, then you will know more about what I've been working on. Wow, Fungai. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> for sharing that and for um, also honoring a lot of, you said, you know, a lot of the unspoken, um, in, almost like invisible heroes, the, the, the women, the, the moms, the yeah, aunties yeah. who have made and created. I, I was thinking about a lot of um, the times like my mom or my neighbors, like, you know, have, Try to teach me how to weave, whether it's, mm-hmm. mas- it's, it's mats or baskets, and and how they always yeah. had these like intricate designs. And I'm like, why is it so important that at this you stop and then you bring this color, you put this like what yeah. is yeah. what is this pattern? You're, you know, because they're complex, right? But also, you know, they were not the mm-hmm. the, the ideas were not always necessarily explained <laughs> to us. But but they are. But but I think what you're touching on is they are so complex and so rich, and yeah. and and. Yeah. And that we have to think about now, like in this day and age, how how do we not only continue those traditions, maybe in reimagined ways, you know, with technology and you even talking about how you're vectorizing these patterns. But how do we replicate and share this with, you know, the next generation or even, you know, because mm-hmm. I even mm-hmm. feel like just listening to you talk about, I'm like, I'm learning. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Yeah, I knew mm-hmm. like, you know, these symbols and patterns that come on a lot of um, clothing, you know, that we have the lesu and, you know, we have our, Chikoyi and Backlands, like <laughs> I should know more about this um, in great detail. And so I'm so happy to hear that the work continues and um, we're excited. We'll keep our eyes peeled for whenever um, that's, that, that comes <laughs> forward. And, and it's, it's, this is in that point in the podcast where you start realizing, wow, how have we been talking for all this time? And there's still so much we want to talk about, but we also um, are very mindful of, um, of your time. And so, uh, Yunisa, I'll pass this over to you. I, I um, as we start to like wrap up a little bit, uh, if there is, <laughs> what can you pick? What, what would you like to ask Fungai? It's the intentionality and calculative nature uh, that these these two things that you 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 clearly communicate about yourself and how you work briefly. Um, is does this come from your background in the sciences? Or, or is it your personality? Or is it something that you, is, or is it a system, you know, something that you have had to, to, to come up with in order to have some sense of structure and system in the way you practice? I love this question. Um, so I think that it's, it's definitely a combination of all those, those factors, right, where I can still take from my academic training and, you know, sort of put that into the work that I do. But I've always told myself that if anything, like I want to be able to always lead with intention. That is very important to me. 
And what that basically means is that it becomes less about, you know, oh, this is something that looks pretty or this is beautiful, but it's like, yeah, let's make it look pretty, but what sort of story is it telling as well? And because for the longest time, and this is like a conversation that is going to be ongoing, like we haven't really been seeing like African narratives being at the forefront, especially when it comes to my field of work. So in brand design, in now web design, which is cool, in UI, UX, it's very rare for you to actually encounter something that is 100% Afrocentric. But we will still see it in, in photography. We'll see it in fine art. We'll see it in music videos. Um, we'll see it in fashion. But in brand design, not so much. But what's actually like super cool is that now because of, again, being super intentional, being uh, super calculated, being very conscious of the fact that there needs to be a shift and taking the very bold move of saying, I, if anything, like I'm going to step out and I'm going to step out in this realm. And I want people to be able to acknowledge me as an African and see my African work and say, this is great work, regardless of where they are, right? They should be able to consume it and still get that African feel, but also um, see that it is amazing African work that is coming out of Africa by an African. Um so that is really at 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 the core of of who I am, and it's something that drives me. It's something that motivates me. I wake up every day, and I'm like, "How can I celebrate Africa today?" Um, I wake up, and if anything, like another thing about me is that I'm obsessed with sunflowers. Like they are absolutely stunning, but. You know, it's just the fact that even as they grow, like they tilt their heads towards the sun. And even when it's like dull and dreary, like it could be raining and, and so gloomy, like they're always still trying to find the light. So my light comes from being able to, you know, work in this way and being able to grab hold of various um, African narratives and seeing how I can tell them so beautifully. And another thing that comes out of this is that we were actually having a, a conversation the other day and, you know, many, many months ago on several platforms where people are like, oh, but you're Zimbabwean, like, how can you tell a Kenyan story? Or you're Zimbabwean, how can you tell a Ugandan story? You're not from there, like you weren't raised there and that sort of thing. I was like, you know what, I completely understand why someone would feel that way. But I do believe that we are one people. We share the same experiences. I think being raised by an African mother is universal, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so universal because I can tell you stories of how my mom has said this and she may have said it in Shona or whatever, but you may be like, oh my gosh, my mother did the same thing. Okay. So we are one people and we share a lot of very common experiences. We may name these things differently, but ultimately at the end of the day, I am doing it in the spirit of wanting to celebrate everyone and wanting to make sure that as I do that, I'm not also misconstruing the narrative because we want for the global market as they consume it to know that this is how it is and not some perception of how they think it should be. So if I like, this then comes down to doing do like due diligence, right? Which is then attached to that intentionality factor to say if I need to do the research, right, within a, a Kenyan context for me to be able to tell this particular story, then I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do the deep diving. Who do I need to speak to? What do I need to read 
to make sure that when I start, you know, putting things in Adobe Illustrator or whatever the case is, I'm doing it properly, but I'm also giving it the reverence it deserves and I'm giving it the beauty that it deserves. Um, so that is where that stems from. And that is why it's something that's extremely, extremely important to me. So even like we're talking about um, how I've recently like launched my website and even as I was building that, I was very intentional with the message that I wanted to convey. I want for anyone who visits it to, to know that it is authentically African and it feels very African. It feels like you're at home. Um, because we don't we, we we need to be able to see more and more and more and more and more and more and more of that. And more so like I said, in this in this brand design space, in this web design space, in this UI UX space, like we need to be seeing more of, you know, like the African inspired looks and, and feels and that sort of thing. So yeah, um it's 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 a combination of factors. Definitely my academic training is uh definitely like how I've grown up but also just me as a person and what I've discovered is more important to me and the stories that I want to be able to tell Mm. I'm going I'm going to follow that up with with uh with the next question which is um, you're part of this growing African and African diasporic network of designers that are keen on sharing and learning from one another so you're enthusiastic and you're not afraid to engage in design conversations unselfishly sharing your knowledge with young designers and honoring designers that inspire you. <laughs> so yeah. what is the value of telling and sharing stories from not only an African, but an African diasporic lens? And what opportunities do you see available for African designers to grow and have a greater impact on both the local and the African diasporas around around the world. What I've actually realized, right, is from speaking to other Africans who may not have grown up in Africa, is that there's that sense of there's something that they want to be able to connect to. And even how, like you're saying, like when you move, like, you know, outside of Africa and that sort of thing, we're here at home, like, it's fine because mostly everyone is black and you can you know like speak the same language and that sort of thing and you're like oh this is fine but all of a sudden you go out and it feels awkward to be black and African um so what I've what I've noticed just from not too many but just a few conversations that I've had is that there's a sense of wanting to be able to connect back to home there's a sense of being able to of being of wanting to be able to explore a little bit more and connect so if anything when I do work with like Africans in the diaspora uh, who may not necessarily have been here or were here like a very long time ago they're always like oh when I was thinking about this project I knew for sure that I needed to get an African designer right because I need someone who's going to be able to speak the same language as I do I need someone who's going to be able to understand me when I say that I would like for certain things to be expressed a certain way. So if anything, like it becomes like imperative that we step into the space and with the gift of technology, right, we're able to actually start showcasing these things because I feel like people will not know that we do what we do unless we actually put it out there and they can see that we do what we do. Um, so whether you are 
a, a designer in whatever respect or field or, or discipline that you're in, it becomes more and more important for African designers to realize that, hey, put your stuff out there, right? Everyone is on Instagram. Everyone is on LinkedIn. Everyone is on Twitter. Everyone is on TikTok. So you may, I, I may live in the corner of Harare, but if I am on the internet, we're basically in the same room. So, yeah. So it's just to, if anything, opportunities for African designers nowadays are, are the possibilities are there and they're massive. It's just a matter of visibility and making sure that people are actually aware of what you do. And because we may also come from an underrepresented, you know, part of the world, uh, often marginalized part of the world, we also actually have to work harder. And that's the honest truth. Uh, we have to be very, very, very consistent in managing our performance output and making sure that we are having super high quality work all the time because we are competing at an international level, but we're coming from, you know, a very underrepresented uh, position. So if anything, like, it's not to say that we have to, you know, like, make ourselves like look like we are worthy of opportunities or anything like that but we we definitely are and as much as someone is killing it in the u.s someone is killing it in nigeria some of my 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 absolute favorite human beings and creators are are from nigeria and they're the most talented creators i've ever encountered right so whether it's product design whether it's brand design, i'm always so blown away by the work that they're doing and my encouragement to every single one of them is always like, post your work, put it out there, put it out, put it out there. Because I'm telling you what you're doing, right? You can charge five times, right, what you normally charge just based off of the quality of the work that you're doing. And because of of everything that's happening now, like, uh, and with like even like remote companies and anything like that, I think we are starting to step into a space where people don't really care. Like, oh, what school did you go to, or uh, what 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 kind of laptop are you designing from? Like, you know, no one cares about that anymore because they're like, oh, let's see your portfolio. Oh, you're self-taught. We don't really care, right? Because as long as we can see that you have such high quality output, right? You could be on an island in the middle of nowhere, right? And they'll be like, no, we're hiring you. You're the one that we want to job. So it's stepping into that confidence, I think, as African designers. And as they are young African creatives who are listening to this. Do not feel intimidated by the internet at all. I know how it can be where you're like, oh, like, should I really, like, show my work? Should I not? Post your work. Post your progress. Say, this is where I started. This is where I'm at now. Yesterday, I couldn't do this. Today, I can do it. Because that shows, one, that you are walking a very authentic human journey, right, where you grow and you evolve with each day. But also, at the same time, you can look back and be like, whoa, this is where I started. Look where I'm at now. So, young African, do not feel intimidated. Do not feel like you cannot do it. Because the opportunities are endless, right? And maybe an opportunity will find you working. So do not stop and do not wait for a time where you feel like, oh, now I'm ripe and I'm ready, right? Even if it's a little sketch, 
they say, oh, this is what I did today. This is so cool, right? Because tomorrow, it's that you're going to add more ink lines to it. You're going to add some color to it. Or you're going to add shadows and highlights to it. And it's going to look so amazing. So keep going. There is so much that we can do. And I am that African who will be like, I... I do not care if you tell me that I do not have access to this because I will make it happen. Okay. I don't know how. I never have it figured out ever, but I'm like, listen, I will keep pushing. The worst anyone can say to you is no. Right? But hey, what actually happens when they say yes? So yeah. Um that is my 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 two cents on that. Uh those who have ears. <laughs> They, they listen and hear. <laughs> thank you so much for speaking to the young people. And um, also thank you for taking the time to be with us here today. We just like to close out the podcast by asking our guests to, and, and with this with this last closing question, it could be, you know, words that come to mind. And I, I think with the work you're doing, and I think with your newly um, designed website, I, I have a feeling that this is something you've thought about. You have, you have, um, made a note to it in how you've talked about um, how you want people to perceive your work and and so this podcast is called the My African Aesthetic Podcast and and Eunice and I continue to ask ourselves about what does that actually mean you know because it's it's, it's, a, it's a very broad it's a very broad statement and term and, and we, we know you know that Africa is not a monolith it's you know it has it's, a, it's diverse with a wealth of of, of so much knowledge, cultures, everything. But also we have these small little things, these things that connect us where you just know, like you don't even have to say it, but you just know <laughs> there is that thing, right? So, you know, we just want to hear from you. Um, when you think, when you, when you hear African aesthetic, you know, what does that mean to you? What comes to your mind? What, what, what is the African aesthetic in the context of your own work and what you're doing? Yeah, so I, you have been asking me all these questions that I think are absolutely amazing today. So I'm here for this. Um, do you know what? There's, there's an energy that comes with being African in Africa. And it is this bold, yeah. vibrant, charismatic energy that I feel like you can't get anywhere. Yes. And that translates like, through <laughs> the richness of the colors, you know, like the textures are bold. The photography is bold. The melanin is bold. Like, you know, like everything is just like beautiful and striking. So when I think of, you know, an African aesthetic, like you're saying, it's it's we're it's not a monolith. Like everything is very multi-directional. Like it's the multi-diverse narratives. There are 54 countries in Africa and there's so many stories that come out of those mm-hmm. different places. But if there's one underlying thing that really resonates with me, it's, it's, and if I had to put it in one word, it's bold. Like, that is exactly what it is. Like, you know, very, very, very high energy, very charismatic, like very vibrant, like very alive. And that is exactly how I see it. Like, I imagine seeing African dancers or seeing drumming, or seeing, you know, African painters. Like, everything about it is just... Oh, it's, it's it's just so beautiful. It's absolutely striking, and I feel like you you don't really get that anywhere else. You really don't. Um. So yeah. Um. You know what? The African aesthetic is a vibe. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a whole. 
Yeah, it's a whole mood, and it's it's extremely extremely bold. Thank you very much for reminding us to get out, get away from our computers, go out, and soak in the information that is right outside our context. So thank you very much for for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for sharing from your heart. You know, being vulnerable with us and pouring your knowledge into us and our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been super cool being able to like share and also hear your minds and your experiences. So I've loved it so much. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please join us for more conversations and interviews with African educators, creatives, architects, urban planners, and designers as they share their knowledge and experiences about practicing in Africa and the diaspora. Remember to subscribe, leave a review, or share this podcast with other people that might be interested in this content. Thank you for joining us today.